Thank you for joining for this episode of the Techspective podcast. My uh, guest this week is Dr. Eric Cole, who is a well-known cybersecurity expert. I've, I've followed him for decade plus, and uh, and you have a, a book coming out, uh, what, next week, uh, Cyber Crisis? June 1st, yep, Cyber Crisis uh, hit, hit, hits the shelves. Do they do they still put books on shelves somewhere? I, I, I think so in a few places. I think that I, I know there's still a bookstore uh, around the corner from me, but I don't know how many are going to be left in a couple of years. So. No, I, I mean, I don't want to derail us right from the beginning, but I feel like that there's a, in the same way that like my kids have very little um, understanding or relationship with what a CD or a DVD are because everything is streaming. And I'm, not, and I'm not talking about like little tiny kids. I'm talking about like, uh, you know, teen and young adult kids. But they've grown up in an era where we just CDs got kind of phased out and DVDs got phased out. And that's just not a thing to them. Yet vinyl records have made a comeback. And I feel like books are sort of the same way where like, you know, we've had Kindle, we've had ebooks and, and everyone, you know, but but there's this like sort of nostalgic retro thing of no, I just want I, I want to hold the book in my hand, you know, like I'm I'm you know I'm I'm reading this one right now. It's like all right, you know, I want to I want to feel the book. Yeah, no, and and I'm the same way. And to me, my big thing is when I read books, I have a four color pen, and I I'm writing notes, and I have a a color coded scheme. And to me, even though Kindle and e-readers have come a long way, that it acts and looks like paper on the eye, you still can't take handwritten notes in the binders and fold over pages and, and things like that. So at least, at least for me, I'm going to, I'm going to hold on to my physical books as long as I can. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, so I, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I've, I've, you know, I, I started to talk with you before we started recording about the, the sort of trend of cybersecurity. Now, I mean, obviously you know, you've been in cybersecurity for a very long time. I've been in cybersecurity for a very long time, both on the, you know, in the, in the trenches and as a, you know, journalist writer. Um, and, you know, when, when I started in, in cybersecurity in, you know, 2002, um, it was, you know, it was, it was, it was about script kiddies. It was about, you know, people, you know, writing viruses just to kind of prove that they could, um, you know, and, and, you know, the, the, the concept of like organized cyber crime or cyber crime as a business, you know, wasn't really a thing. That wasn't the thing you were worried about. And I think if you look now at where, where we're at right now, not only are organizations like dark side, like, Conti, like Avedon, like, you know, these, these, you know, ransomware groups and APT groups. Um, not only are they large, larger enterprises with a, a more focused agenda, but they've got like accounts payable and accounts receivable and, and, and customer service centers and FAQ websites for this is how you pay us our Bitcoin ransom. And, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a business. It's a, it's a legitimate it's a, it's a legitimate, illegitimate business. Um, and at the same time, you've had, you know, we've got this sort of cyber cold war going on between us and Russia and us and China and China and Russia and everyone's spying on everyone. Um, and when it comes to a lot of countries in Russia and China in particular, that line between, okay, was this attack from Russia or was this attack from a cyber crime group in Russia? <laughs> Yeah. Very subtle distinction. 
Um, so I'll quit rambling and just kind of leave, leave that there and say, well, you know, what, what are your thoughts on sort of the state of cybersecurity and, and what we're dealing with? Yeah, to me, I mean, you really nailed it. It went from, and we were talking a little bit about this before the show, seven, eight years ago, for the most part, if you just did your basic hygiene of patching your system, keeping them up to date, unless you were a really big organization, you were relatively safe. Now, sort of two, two big trends have happened. One is organizations have gotten very sloppy with their cybersecurity. Nobody thinks they're a target. Cybersecurity is viewed very much like accidents, illnesses, and robberies. Those are things that happen to other people. Like you're even seeing uh, organizations like Colonial, where they're having systems that haven't been patched for multiple years, directly accessible to the internet, connected to the pipeline. I mean, this is so some of this stuff we're seeing out there is amateur hour. And it's like these bigger companies should really know better, but they're still just making these basic, basic mistakes. And, and to me, what it really comes down to is the communication barrier between executives and cybersecurity technical folks is broken. Because let's face it, I cannot imagine for any second if you have all of the executives, and we pick on Colonial, but it could be any organization, uh, are going to sit there. And if you tell them, listen, you have a system that allows direct access to your pipeline. Somebody could easily inject ransomware with minimal effort, take down your entire pipeline for multiple days, multiple weeks. And this is something that could easily be fixed. Do you want to ignore it? That they're going to sit there and go, sure, let's ignore it, right? That, that, that would be very naive. But I bet you what happened in most of these cases is technical people came in and gave very technical descriptions of the problem that executives didn't understand. They didn't know what was going on. And they said, well, we're spending $15 million on cybersecurity. We have 100 people on our cybersecurity team. We're good but they don't really understand those true threats. So to me, what I'm really focusing on is this chief information security officer role, because to me in many, not all, but many cases, it has become a technical career track. And that's the problem. A CISO is not a technical role. It's a translation role. You need to understand technical and you need to understand business. But when you don't have a good CISO that can translate effectively to the executives, executives misunderstand security, make bad decisions and major breaches happen. Okay, I can see that. You know, one of the, I think uh, another element of that is I, I just saw um, in relation to there was a, there was a news story that I saw on on uh, a news clip on television of uh, about Darkside and Colonial Pipeline, and there was someone um, from the government, and I don't remember exactly what his role was, but someone you know somewhat high up who made the statement of. Um, you know that, that that a lot of organizations just feel like it's it's uh, cheaper to pay the consequences. It's cheaper. It's cheaper to deal with the 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 problem when it happens than to proactively address security. And I was looking at it and doing the math. I'm like, I don't think that's true at all. Um, I mean, in that same news clip, they said that the the average ransom payment went from a hundred, like a roughly 115,000 in 2019 to over 330,000 or, or something like that in 2020. So it almost tripled. And, and I was looking at, it, I was like, okay, well, you know, again, there's a lot of, there are a lot of cybersecurity solutions out there. Some of them are more expensive than others. Obviously it depends on the size of your corporation and, 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 you know, all of those things. But in general, I'm like $330,000 is a pretty good chunk of change for, you know, investing in, in cybersecurity. 
And, you know, I, I feel like that's, you know, so, something that organizations should, uh, they should be weighing out. I mean, when you're talking about that risk, you know, when, when the CISO is trying to sit down with the board or sit down with, you know, and say, look, this is, this is what's going on. Here's the risk. Um, you know, CNA reportedly paid a $40 million ransom. Colonial just, you know, confirmed they paid a $4.4 million ransom. Acer and Apple were both had both had $50 million ransom demands in the last couple of months. I have no idea what happened with those, whether they paid, didn't pay, negotiated. I don't know what they did, but the ransom demands are exorbitant, you know, and they're, and, and they're getting higher. And it, like, I, I, so I, I don't think it's a valid argument to say it's okay to accept that risk and just pay, you know, deal with the consequences if, if it happens. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And it goes back to, how we're presenting the risk to the executives. The, the, the problem I see in a lot of organizations is you, you'll have technical folks come to the executives and they get very emotional and they'll be like, ransomware, ransomware, it's bad, it's bad, it's evil, it's bad, we gotta spend money, we gotta spend money, we gotta spend money. And, and, and they go in and they'll get them to spend a couple million dollars, but it's not on the right problem and fixing the root cause issue. So then the ransomware hits, and the companies sort of throw up their hands and say, yeah, well, I guess we have no choice but to pay the ransom. So, so to me, there's two components here. One is, if we wanna fix the problem, what cybersecurity professionals need to do is executives only care about four things. What could happen? How bad is it? What is the likelihood and what do you want to fix it? And I see very few companies doing that where they go to their executive team and go, listen, we have a big threat to ransomware. We have critical systems with known vulnerabilities directly connected to the internet, and that shouldn't be the case. And if we do nothing, it's going to cost us $5 million, and there's a 90% chance this will happen. I want 800K to fix it. Which option do you want? Option one, you're gonna pay in the next six to nine months, you're gonna pay $5 million ransom, or you're gonna give us 800K to mitigate the risk. And to me, we don't have that data. So, so I agree with you, that comment from that uh, person that you mentioned, yeah, I think was a very short-sighted argument that wasn't based mathematically. Now, if they're saying after the ransomware happens, then I do agree because if you ignore security, you don't put the measures in place and you get hit with ransomware, these attackers, as you mentioned, like DarkSide, they've commercialized cyber criminal activity. They know what the cost is to recover. So to me in Colonial, I was one of the first folks to say as early as Sunday night when the story broke that Colonial paid the ransom, even though other companies were saying no, because the math is simple. You could either spend $50 million and six months and recover all your systems, or you could pay $5 million ransom and be up in six days. So after the compromise occurs, yes, unfortunately today, it's in the greatest good to pay the ransom because recovering without the ransom is gonna be a lot more expensive but if you go back proactively, it's much cheaper to fix the problem before the ransom ever happens. So I right. think it's a before or after question. Right. And you look at the, the there is the uh, perfect example of both sides of the coin a couple of years back when you had Baltimore get hit and said, well, we're not going to pay this ransom. We absolutely will not. And then you had the city in Florida get hit and they had cyber insurance. I think they paid like a $25,000 deductible or whatever on their insurance policies, covered it. And, you know, 
so overall, you know, they, they were only out $25,000. The insurance covered the other part of the ransom and they were back up and running in a little bit, you know, you know a couple of weeks or whatever. Baltimore, I think, took months, if not a year, and I think spent like $20 million. You know. 19 months before they were back in operational. Yep. I mean, so uh, unfortunately, yeah, and there's more stories like that with Baltimore and others tells us if if you allow the attacker to get in and they do have control of your systems or your data, unfortunately, whether you like it or not, the best business decision and really the only business decision is to pay the ransom because otherwise the amount of pain, frustration, time, and energy to recover once somebody else has control of your systems is just not worth it from an economic standpoint. Well, okay. So I have two points on that. Number one, I think it's also interesting. The story coming out of Colonial Pipeline is they paid the ransom, got the decryptor tool from DarkSide, and it was so bad that they were stored from backup anyway. Like it was so the, the, the decryptor tool was too slow. So they paid the ransom and ended up not actually using the tool that were, they were given from what I saw that that's, you know, from the report. Yeah. Then, the, then this other story you have with, um, the, uh, health services, uh, in, in Ireland that got taken down and they had to shut down all of healthcare. Um, but then the Conti group, you know, like it's funny to me, like all, all these ransomware groups, um, they all fancy themselves as Robin Hood. Like they have a, there's some sort of code of ethics and, and moral uh, you know, compass to this. So they, after a few days, were like, OK, well, we don't want to shut down all of healthcare. That's not that, that that's not our goal. So they gave them the, the decryptor tool for free. But they still maintain the ransom demand based on the double extortion. They're basically, you know, they're saying, OK, look, here, we're, we're going to let you decrypt and get back to business and, and do do the healthcare thing. But if you don't give us twenty million dollars, we're going to publish everyone's, you know, you know, personal health data uh, online. So, you know, and that's that's the, a, a whole different angle on on ransomware. Is you know, like a year ago, two years ago, you could just tell a company, look, you just need to be better about doing your backups. If you just had good backups, you got hit by ransomware. You can, you know, tell the ransom attackers to go jump in a lake and just restore from backup, and you're you're good to go. And then the ransomware attacker said, all right, we can we can play by those rules. We'll steal your data first. Yep. <laughs> and then yeah. you know, and then you can restore from backup all you want. But if you don't want all of your data to go to, to be sold on the dark web or published uh, publicly, you know, exposed, uh, then you're going to have to pay this ransom. And that's yeah. and that's where Acer and, and Apple both. You know, again, I don't know what the outcome of either of those was, but in both cases, it was, hey, we have your intellectual property. And we can sell this to someone. We can, you know, just leak it publicly and let everyone know what's coming up in your in your roadmap and what kind of you know engineering stuff you guys are working on, or you can give us fifty million dollars. Um, and there's a new angle too that I've seen uh, reports of that they're also now offering to sell the information um, as like an insider trading thing. So on the dark web, basically saying, look, we now have all this information about what Apple's doing. Or, you know what Apple's planning to do. We can just sell. We can sell this to uh, investors. You know we can sell this to to stock traders so that they have the inside roadmap of you know what's coming down the pipeline from Apple. Uh, yeah, there's a lot there, but to me the the biggest frustration that we're seeing from Solar Winds to Colonial and others is it's like, come on, tell the truth. I mean, own your you-know-what when the attacks happen. But like with SolarWinds, I mean, I'm sitting there laughing where you, you get this big tech company 
that didn't protect their systems. It was an easy attack vector. It turned out to be a weak password that wasn't changed. But instead of telling the truth, they come out and say, oh, our estimate is that this is such an advanced group, it would have taken a thousand people nine months to write this sophisticated <coughs> code. And you're just like, come on, man, this is not working. So, so let's go back to Colonial. I, I, I always go back to facts and common sense. If Colonial was able to decrypt and recover the systems on their own, which is what they claimed, why would they have ever paid the ransom? It, it does not make any logical sense. So, so this idea that, oh, we paid the ransom, but the tool was so terrible that we ended up not needing it anyway, and we recovered on our own in four days, it just, it's, it doesn't make any logical sense. And to me, all it does is say that, that you're stupid because then why'd you pay the ransom in the first place, right? So it, it's just, to me, we have a lot of this smoke screen out there because there's no regulation, no control, no oversight, where instead of these big tech companies just being honest with the public and saying, listen, cybersecurity wasn't a priority, we screwed up, we had vulnerabilities, they're going in and coming up with these elaborate, crazy stories that just isn't helping anybody and not really fixing the problem. Yeah, I mean, a, a few episodes ago, I was talking with uh, uh, Dave Marcus, and we were talking about how, you know, how that became like the thing uh, where every company that makes headlines, the initial public uh, relations response, like is always, oh, this was a sophisticated advanced threat nation state. It's, you know, and that's before they've even actually done the investigation. Like they don't even, they don't even know what they're talking about yet. They're just, that that's just, that's just the default. The, yeah. the default response was, well, of course this was a very sophisticated nation state. Otherwise we wouldn't have gotten, we wouldn't have been, you know, attacked or we wouldn't have been taken down. Come on, watch this. I, I have it down. So Pat, uh, it's, it's too early to tell what happened and we're not really sure how they got in and we're not sure what the vulnerabilities are and we're not sure how the compromise occurred. Awkward pause. But we know for a fact that it must have been an advanced adversary that had thousands of well-coordinated efforts. And I'm like, like you said, time out. If, if you don't know what happened and you don't know how they got in, then how in the world can you pontificate about what the attacker was? So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm exactly like you and, and David just going, come on. This, you know, I mean, this doesn't make any sense. Just be honest and say we don't know how they got in or which I think is true in most cases, you know how they got in. It was so obvious, it was so basic that you're almost embarrassed, but let's learn from it, fix it, and help others do that. Because from what I've seen, and I've studied a lot of attackers, whether it's solar winds, large hotel chains, healthcare organizations, or even Colonial, it comes down to this. Two simple rules. If you wanna be secure, any system that's visible from the internet must be fully patched, and any system accessible from the internet must never contain critical data or access to critical systems. Boom, it's really that easy. Every major attack we've seen is where we have systems accessible from the internet, missing patches for multiple years with direct access to critical data. And to me, this is just cybersecurity 101 that we're just not paying attention to. And, and let's just hit SolarWinds again, Target. It's the exact same problem that happened with Target. Target. I believe was eight or nine years ago. And the problem with Target was not segmenting networks from vendors. You had the HVAC vendor connected to all the stores and was able to compromise all the point of sale systems. 
solar winds exact same problem except replace target with every government system and replace solar winds with hvac vendor and it's the same exact problem so to me we're not learning and we're not holding companies accountable and that's why this problem is happening cybersecurity is not difficult we're just not following the rules well true okay so so you know you look at solar winds and you know like you know like you said first first it was oh well you know we we, we don't really know what happened but for sure it was this you know nation state then they go in front of Congress and say, and you know, throw some intern under the bus and say, "Oh, well, intern had a bad password." Oh, like seriously, that's the best you can do. And then you know, then 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 last week, uh, you know, during a session at RSA, they 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 announced, "Oh, by the way, we've since figured out that the the, the actual breach occurred, you know, eight months earlier or, or like a year earlier than what what we had previously thought." You know, so we you know. We, we detected it in October. We told you it happened in January. Turns out it was actually the year before, um, which raises all kinds of questions. You know, it's like, uh, like uh, you know, based on that information, I'm like, all right, is anything safe? <laughs> like, like how, how, how deep do you have to go to clean up after that? Like, because, because you have no way of really knowing if, you know, if you have, if you had an adversary that, that managed to infiltrate solar winds somehow get their malicious code into the image that was then used to you know create the tool that government agencies and and, and enterprise corporations rely on and now you've got you know the keys to the kingdom you've got internal access to all these systems there's no telling really like well what other zero days have been left behind you know what other what other time bombs are in the system that we have, we just haven't found yet exactly and, and that's the part that and I think everyone misses and overlooks with any attack, but even ransomware attack. Great. You pay the ransom and you're back up and operational. Or if we use other attacks, you go in and you find out how they broke in and you switch, fix the box. But if they were able to steal that data, modify the code, or take control of your entire system that you had to pay the ransom, what other access do they have? It's not like when you pay the ransom and they give you the decryptor and you get your systems back that all of a sudden they leave the network. I mean, that, that, that's why when people like, oh, we we got through Colonial, we got through SolarWinds, I'm like, no, you didn't. I mean, you, you got through the operation, but you still have a tumor inside you that that is is not benign and you didn't remove it and it's going to keep spreading and spreading and spreading. So, yeah, to me, everyone's – to me, we're very symptom-based where look at the symptom, fix the symptom, take some aspirin, take some Percocet and you're good, but nobody's fixing the root cause problem that these attackers have total control of these networks and what else are they able to do? Yeah. So what are your thoughts? So, uh, actually, I'm gonna start with a little uh, backstory. When, uh, what was it called? Operation Night Dragon? The the the, the Google, when, when Google was hacked in China in like 2000. 12, I think it was 2000. I don't know. It was a long time ago, but I had a conversation at the time about that where it was, it was interesting because Google went public, you know, Google said, Hey, look, we've detected this attack. This is what we know. Here's, here's the, here's the, the evidence we have, you know, we think China's behind this, you know, and, and once Google did that, other companies then came out and said, you know what? We also, we saw some things too, but we didn't, we didn't put it together. We didn't really know what we were looking at. But now that you mention it, yeah, that was suspicious. And as 
other companies came out of the woodwork and everyone shared, you start to put the puzzle together. And that was when I, you know, I came up with this whole analogy of, yeah, the problem with security is, uh, you know, company A has, you know, these five pieces of the puzzle and company B has these five pieces and company C has these five pieces, but it's a thousand piece puzzle and nobody knows what the final picture is supposed to look like. And so you just have these sort of like disconnected things and you, you, and you need that kind of cooperation and collaboration to compare your five pieces with other companies and say, well, how do these fit together? And, and, and can we work together to see what the big picture is now since then, you know, we have made some progress. There are various industry, you know, the financial ISAC and the, you know, there are all the ISAC groups with, you know, industry by industry where there is some amount of collaboration and cooperation that I think is helpful. But I feel like we still need, we need like broader global inter-industry cooperation. And, and I think, you know, just, so just recently, you know, we, uh, we, we have, the, the ransomware task force that, you know, that the, that the U S government is, you know, kind of put together and this, this executive order, um, you know, from president Biden. And I wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, are either of those things effective or how do, how do we, how do we, you know, work together? Because I, I think that lots of vendors, lots of cybersecurity vendors out there will say, well, buy our, buy our tool. You know, like you, you, you need you need our tool to protect your network, and you know, and maybe that maybe that is one facet of it, but there needs to be a broader cooperation. Like it's not as simple as any one tool, and I don't think any one company is going to solve the problem. And I think you know, so I think there needs to be more cooperation on a broader scale. Um, so on the one hand, I think that the that broader cooperation would be helpful. On the other hand, I think when you're talking about things like dark side, which, you know, is, you know, seems to be operating. If it's not at Russia's direction, it at least is operating with Russia's approval and, uh, or was, <laughs> and no longer has Russia's approval. Um, but, um, but that becomes challenging because like, okay, well, even if we know that and we say, okay, well, we know it's dark side, we know where dark side is. Well, if we don't have that, that level of cooperation between us and Russia, and Russia isn't willing to do anything about it, there's very little we can do to, you know, bring those people to justice or, or do anything to, to, to stop that threat. Um, you know, I guess one thing would be to say, you know, to try to hold Russia accountable and be like, well, look, we're not saying you did it, but we are saying, you know of it, you know where these people live, you know where they work, and there is something you can do about it. So by choosing not to help us, you are, contributing to the problem and therefore here's the consequences. But, but, but to me, and this is the thing that, that totally cracked me up. Very few news channels covered this aspect of it, but we basically created this problem with the, the sanctions against Russia a few months ago. I mean, we, we, we tried that now in this case with colonial dark side took credit. We traced it back. FBI confirmed. I mean, that's a pretty solid that it was a Russian company, not the Russian government. But you go back to not only uh, solar winds, where there isn't really any hard proof that it actually was Russia, and then we create this other election interference stuff that really has no validation, no proof. And a couple of months ago, the United States puts these strict sanctions 
against Russia, blaming them for these two attacks with minimal real evidence to tie it. And to me, that was the accelerator for dark side, because if you're following this space in January, February, Putin over in Russia was sort of going on companies going, listen, start cut back on the U.S. This is going to get ugly if if we have Russian companies keep breaking in. And he was sort of defending the U.S. and putting some pressure on these. And if you notice, a lot of the ransomware attacks at end of the year, early this year, really slowed down pretty significantly because of that. And then we come out of nowhere, and I think it was March, April timeframe, and we put these sanctions on Russia, and Boone's basically like, game on. You know I mean, I, I, go for it. You know I mean, I'm uh, hands off. You want, you're going to blame me anyway when I'm trying to help you hands off and look at what happened. All of a sudden, the attacks from Russia increased tremendously. So I, I believe in that that was an area where big tech felt instead of accepting responsibility, big tech was the ones that went in and kept saying sanctions, sanctions, sanctions. And, and the thing that frustrating me is when Congress had the hearings on solar winds and others, all they had was big tech. They didn't have independent experts that were unbiased saying that regulation is the key here. Sanctions is not going to solve this. It's an easy excuse for big tech to be let off the hook. But this is time for sanctions. And to me, colonial is the Enron moment in cybersecurity. And, and what I mean by that is we knew before Enron that publicly traded companies were playing games. They were cooking the books and they were doing things. But after Enron came to light, we were like, okay, you're bad boys and girls. The government must regulate you because you can't behave on your own. And to me, that's exactly what happened with Colonial. People go, but Eric, what made Colonial the Enron moment? Why wasn't it SolarWinds or Marriott or any of the others? And the trick was this. It impacted a large percent of Americans. I don't know where you live, but I went Monday night and I had to wait 45 minutes to get gas. By Tuesday morning, every gas station in Northern Virginia was out of gas. People couldn't come home from college. People couldn't go on vacation. People couldn't travel. So it, it was a moment that had a direct impact on individual lives like no other attack did. So to me, the first solution is we need a US regulation. So we need to regulate this industry like Enron and hold these companies responsible. Next is we need to recognize the internet is global. Well, when you're on the internet, there are international boundaries. There's one country for the whole entire world. And once again, to show it can be done, this is nuclear proliferation. We, we went back, I don't know when it started, I think it was the 80s, where a lot of these big countries came together and said, you know something? We don't want North Korea to have nuclear weapons. We're concerned about country X, country Y, country Z. So we created a worldwide alliance where we regulate nuclear weapons to control who can and cannot do that. To me, that's the model for cybersecurity. We need to start going and go, listen, if, if Russia's gonna harbor these groups or China or whoever it is, we need to all work together because otherwise this is not gonna be good for the world as a whole because if the US starts retaliating and others. So to me, the two pieces is we need US regulation and we need a cyber nuclear proliferation treaty where we start controlling and getting a handle on this. Otherwise, it's going to keep getting a lot worse before it gets better. Okay, you know one of the things you know, talking about the gas shortage. So, like, I'm I'm at the I'm at the beginning of the pipeline. So we didn't have you know, like I'm I'm in Houston. So we okay. we were really in, it, it, the the impact to us was we had too much gas because it couldn't go anywhere. 
Oh, you took it all from us, man. <laughs> all stuck here in Houston. Hey, hey, but you had the ice storm, right? So you had your share last year. So, well, but the thing is, that part of this was self-inflicted. Like everyone, like the, the, I think the general population of Americans, like if you just went out on the streets and did a poll, they would say, yeah, Colonial Pipeline was hit by some ransomware that shut down the pipeline. Like, no, no, no. Colonial rans Colonial Pipeline was hit by ransomware. Yes, Colonial Pipeline turned the pipeline off themselves because they 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 knew that they you know, because their systems were down they weren't going to be able to track well who was getting the who was getting the fuel and they weren't going to be able to invoice properly and so it was purely a, a you know it, it, greed's a strong word but it's a it was a capitalist greed decision on their part like they could have they could have allowed the the fuel to continue flowing okay. so, so, since, since we're buddies you really believe that bs I mean, come on. Wait, because they shut it off? That they shut it off because the billing system couldn't track, but that, that their OT system was completely safe and protected. I mean, it doesn't make logical sense. Well, I, I will say this. I can see either, honestly. Yeah. I can see, I can see having, a, having an impact on OT systems and not wanting to admit that. And I can see the company saying, Okay, well, you know, we're we're here to make money. You know, let's shut this down until we can, you know, make sure we're building people. However, the part that doesn't make sense to me in that, and to to kind of agree with your point is, I'm like, okay, but I don't know how much I don't know how much money is flowing through there on a daily basis. You know, uh, uh, in, in terms of fuel, but to say I'm going to shut this down because I don't want to lose money, but I'm also going to pay 4.4 million dollars to 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 get out of this it's like okay well you know one of those things doesn't add up yeah and, and let, let me play this out for you because because if what they were saying because because you know there's two general networks your ot network your it network and those should be air gapped now if what colonial was saying was true where they truly were air gapped where they're saying the ot network was always fine it was air gapped it was never connected to the internet if there's two separate networks guess what you're manually moving the information over to do billing. There's a manual method in place with an air gap network. So if they claim that the OT network was never compromised because it was air gap, that meant they already had a manual process, which meant if the IT network went down, that the OT network can still function correctly. But here, here is the proof that what they were saying was BS. Last week, last Thursday, you know what happened? When they were patching their IT network, they took down the IT network. Colonial's IT network went down that has their billing system on it, and guess what? They kept the pipeline running, which that right there shows you that what they were saying a week before was liar, liar, pants on fire. So so, so to me, you always, I, I look at all the evidence, and I'm like, once again, can't we just be honest and say what's really happening? But to me, the only possible reason a company would take down their pipeline is if it got infected, and the only possible way it could get infected is if the OT network was connected to the internet. I mean, if you just look at the facts of what happened, they're clearly not telling us the full story of what really occurred. Yeah. Well, and and on that note, I would say, you know, uh, so just dealing with other people, not companies, you know, or dealing with like an employee. You know, if 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 I if I ask you a question and and you don't know the answer, I would rather you say, Tony, I I, I don't know, 
but let me go, let me go find out. Or, you know, Tony, I don't know, but I'm working on that and I'll get back to you tomorrow that, you know, it's better, it's better for you to be honest about, you know, that, that you don't actually know the answer and then come up with a plan to get the answer than to just BS your way, you know, and say, well, absolutely. You know, and, and you can't, you can't just make up an answer because then the next day I'm going to find out that you were wrong. You know, and that's what keeps happening with these these attacks at the company level. They they're trying to give you a straight answer. They're not straight. They're trying to give you a concrete answer. They're trying to they're trying to say, look, you know. And and I think for, especially for a publicly traded company, I think the idea is to instill shareholder confidence that you know we we we've uh, you know we recognize the problem, we've addressed the problem, everything's under control, we we know what's going on, but they don't. And so then the story keeps changing. And, you know, and, and so to your point, like it would be in my, like it would be, it would certainly be better for us as you know, individual uh, consumers, but I, I would think that even in the long run, it would be better even for the, at the investor level, if you just said right up front, this thing happened, here is what we know right now and stop trying to frame it. Like it's done. Like, like this is the end of it. This is, this is all the information. It's like, no, just, just let us know. This is what we know right now, or this is what we think right now. It's an ongoing investigation. Um, you know, I mean, look at, look at like a, an ongoing murder investigation. You know, the police don't hold a press conference and say, well, um, it was, it, it was, it was Dr. Cole. And, 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 and then, and then the next day go, Oh wait, when you know, it turns out he had an alibi, uh, that, that, that's not true. It was not Dr. Cole. It's like, no, they come now out. It's and they, Tony, right? You just, you just, yeah, you just make it. <laughs> they, they come out and they say, look, here's what we know. Yeah. This is an ongoing investigation. This is what we know so far. We're still looking into it. We will update you when we have more information. Like that is a reasonable thing for a company to say. I, I, I agree with you. The analogy I give is I remember when my son was little. He used to love sneaking into the pantry and eating Oreos before dinner. And one time he comes out and I'm like, dude, did you have Oreos? And he goes, no. And he had chocolate all. And so I take him in front of a mirror and he looks in front of the mirror and I'm like, dude, do you want to change your answer? And he's like, no, I didn't have Oreos, but I don't know how the cookies got there. Right. And, and I feel like that's what these companies are doing is like you're lying and then you lie about the lie and then you're just going to sit there with the cookies on you going, yeah, I have no idea how that happened. It's like, come on, we all we all know what's going on. Well, you know, that, that's, that's part of part of a a a political playbook of a certain kind of, you know, yeah. you just you you once once you've lied. That's the story. And you stick with the. <laughs> No matter how much evidence comes out to the contrary, I don't care if they've got video footage of you doing the exact opposite. The lie is the lie. That's what yeah, that wasn't me. <laughs> so, um, all right. Well, so let's 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 bring this back now. So you have all all of these you know fun and exciting things we've talked about. Let's bring this back then to the CISO. Let's bring it back to what is what is the role? You know, how can it, how can someone at the CISO level do their you know do their job better? Uh, you know, do do a better job for their company at both avoiding these these issues in the first place and in responding to these issues when they happen. So, so first and foremost is to recognize if you're a CISO or you want to be a chief information security officer that you are a translator. You must be able to speak business and you must be able to speak tech. 
find out what your weak area is and improve it. Now, most CISOs typically have grown up on the tech side, so are much stronger on the tech and much, much weaker on the business. But we have to remember the reason why having security report to the CIO doesn't work. And to me, everyone missed this. Everyone was like, oh, security can't be under the CIO because there's a conflict of interest. No, security can't report to the CIO because the CIO is a technical position. It's about uptime availability. It's about making sure the packets flow. And as long as you're delivering five nines, everybody's happy. Cybersecurity is a business decision. It's not a technical decision. So to me, if I come up to any CISO, I'm gonna give you the CISO test. And the CISO test is this. What's your name? Where do you live? What's your phone number? What business are you in? What's your competitive advantage? And if you can't answer those five questions, boom, 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 because you don't know the last two answers, then you aren't properly positioned to be a CISO. A CISO needs to understand business, speak business, speak dollars and cents. And to me, it's simple. When you're briefing the executives, if you have more than one slide, you're doing it wrong. I see all these CISOs with 30, 40, 50 slides with all the technical information, this and that on it. And, and to me, it's because we've all been trained on an incorrect phrase. Most of us was raised on the phrase, treat people the way you wanna be treated. So when you're going in to brief a board, you're gonna create a slide deck the way you wanna see it. Totally wrong. If you treat people the way you wanna be treated, you're not gonna get along with people, everyone's gonna hate you. Here's the correct phrase. Treat people the way they wanna be treated. So me and you are different. If I love ice cream and you hate ice cream and I treat you the way I wanna be treated, I'm gonna bring you ice cream every day and it's gonna piss you off. But if I treat you the way you wanna be treated, even if I don't like pizza, I'm gonna bring you pizza every day. So we need to go in and say, what do executives want? And as I said earlier, executives want four things. What's the problem? What's the dollar damage if it occurs? What is the percent chance of it occurring? And what's the dollars to fix it? That's all they want. So to me, if you're a CISO, you gotta know what business are you in. You have to know the finances. You have to know your competitive advantage and you need to present executives in dollars and cents. And that's how you're successful and that's how companies win. When I brief to executive boards, I always get the funding because I know that if I go in and I say, here's a problem, that has a 90% chance of occurring, and it's gonna cost $30 million, and I want 500K to fix it, that's a no-brainer. Everyone's gonna give that money every day of the week. On the other hand, if I'm going in with a problem that has a 10% chance of occurring, and if it occurs, it's gonna cost a million dollars, and I want $2 million to fix it, that's a stupid decision, and I'm never gonna present that to the board. So we need to recognize that just because you grew up on the technical side of the house, a CISO is not a technical position. You need to think like a business person, understand the business and present the information in dollars and cents. And that's to me how we fix the cybersecurity problem. Okay. Um, so first I wanna say, uh, love ice cream and pizza. So you're gonna win either way with me. You're gonna, yeah, you, you can bring ice cream. <laughs> so I'm good. Okay, awesome. Now can we put ice cream on the pizza? Is that okay? I no, mean, okay. I went too far. See, I always gotta go too far, right? <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it might, 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 might be worth trying once. Um, but yeah, I think, I, I mean, I agree with you. The, you know, I've, I've watched the sort of evolution of, um, of the chief information security officer role and how it's, it, you know, it was 
always just kind of like the, it's the scapegoat role. I mean, you know, the, the tenure of a CISO is, is relatively short because it's like, yeah, your your job is to sit in this seat until something bad happens and then we let you go and we find a new one. Um, and and a lot of companies, you know, a, a lot of companies have treated the role that way. Like they, 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 they don't provide, you know, the, the CISO doesn't have the budget or the authority to actually do the job well in the first place or to, you know, to do what needs to be done but is held accountable when things go wrong. Um, but to your point, they were also partially, partially to blame for that, you know, because they're, you know, they are coming from the technical side. And I, and I feel like we, as, as the security people, um, would tend to think more black and white in terms of security, but like, well, no, you have to do that because that, you know, this, that's how you get to be more secure. And that's how you end up being seen as, draconian you're getting in the way of business you know you're doing security for the sake of security and 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 not security as an enabler for you know doing business better and the you know the CISO has to be able to straddle that line has to be able to say you know here here's here's what we need to do to be more secure but it has to help facilitate business at the same time yeah cybersecurity has to be a business enabler and to me the problem you just highlighted where you're sort of in a seat and you're going to get fired in 12 or 18 months has to come back to a crappy metric. One of the reasons why CIOs are so successful and it's mature is they have a great metric, uptime availability. That's a good, solid metric. The problem in most organizations is the CISO doesn't realize they have a metric and it's a bad metric. And the metric in almost all organizations is this. If we have a breach, you failed and we're going to fire you. So the metric in organizations is if we don't have a breach, you're doing your job. Now, here's the problem. 100% security doesn't exist with functionality, so you're going to have a breach. And you might go, but Eric, where'd you come up with that metric? What happens after every breach? The system gets fired, right? So that tells you in the executive's mind, if a breach happens, the CISO failed and we're firing them, that's a metric. But if we know that breaches are going to happen, then basically every CISO is diagnosed with a terminal illness. So the other thing a CISO has to do is change the metric. Listen, we're gonna get breached. When we do the CISO work for our clients, I tell them, listen, I'm gonna do my job and we're gonna have breaches. Is that cool? Because if you want 100% security and when a breach happens, you're gonna think I failed, I'm not the person for the job because you have a false reality. So let's get reality straight right up front that we are gonna get breached. My job in security is not to prevent all attacks. Here's the key. My job in security is to detect attacks in a timely manner and control the damage. That's what everyone misses. So to me, we have to switch the metrics, switch the definition and get agreement from the executives. We're gonna get breached, but we're gonna detect the attack in a timely manner and control the damage as opposed to ignore it for two years and have significant damage to our organization. Right. Yeah, it's funny. Like when, when I was working in the, you know, on the cybersecurity side of things, you know, as a as a cybersecurity analyst, architect, whatever, um, I remember that was one of the challenges was, and still is, I'm sure. When you're good at your job, it sometimes becomes harder to justify your job. You know, so like we we would go back to a client and say, hey, you know, it's time to renew. Um, we need you know, x x hundred thousand dollars from you to renew this contract, and they would be like. Yeah, we're not really sure we need you. Like you, nothing even happened last year. I'm like, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nothing happened because I was here. Yes. 
and 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 so yeah, you're you're trying to almost kind of prove a negative uh, to an extent. You know, like the better you are at your job, the, the then then you have to say, okay, yes, but you didn't get hit because I did what I was doing. Um, but anyway, but no, I I agree with you completely that uh, that that is it, it it would be valuable for you know if you're if you're if you're interviewing for that role to have that conversation up front and and to be you know to sit down with you know the CEO the board whoever's hiring you to be a, to be the chief information security officer and and you know be very upfront that there is no absolute security you know like that and and things are going to happen and and, and yeah if you if you reframe it like you just did and say the role is not to prevent everything the role is to detect it as quickly as possible it's 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 to reduce the, the time to detect and respond um and and minimize the damage then i think you you're in a much better place um so all right well let's uh i think we'll, we will wrap up there but i want to um give uh a, another plug uh cyber crisis comes out june 1st oh yeah and and, and twofold one this is a business book so it's written in business language so you might think if you're a technical person or even a CISO going, hey, Eric, you're not going to teach me anything new from a cybersecurity perspective. That's true. But this is going to teach you how to speak to executives. I had 30 CEOs and COOs review the book, validate the book, and say this is written in English. So you either give this to your executives so they can understand the real problem, or you can read it to say this is the level you need to communicate so executives will listen and understand what you're saying. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm looking forward uh, to reading the book myself. I want to thank you for uh, for taking the time to join me and uh, take care. My pleasure. Thanks, my friend. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like. Let me know what you don't like. Let me know if you love it. Let me know if it sucks. And uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions you'd like to see answered in future posts.